Welcome to the Thought Leadership Project, a podcast by Jay Harrington and Tom Nixon, exploring how lawyers can turn expertise into thought leadership and thought leadership into new business. Welcome back to the Thought Leadership Project podcast. I'm Jay Harrington. Uh, Tom Nixon is with me. Hi, Tom. Hey, Jay. Good to be with you as always. Yeah, you too. Um, I uh, I have a overrated, underrated ready for you if you're if you're willing to accept. Yeah, challenge. I don't think I have a choice. But yes, go ahead. Hit me. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Um, so I I was curious as to your take whether you have one. Uh, because I, I didn't necessarily spend, I haven't spent a lot of time thinking about it, but um, I thought in, in light of the fact that, you know, we're opening the um, Thought Leader Collaborative uh, the week of July 26th, um, I wanted to ask a, a LinkedIn related, overrated, underrated. So this one is your take on polling, the polls that you can do via LinkedIn now. You know, it's been probably about six months, I think, since LinkedIn rolled out that feature as part of the post, and we've seen them quite a bit in our in our feeds. I know everyone has; they're very popular. Um, I, I was curious as to whether you have a take on that. Um, yeah, I, I I do. It's a mild take, and it's not a hot take, so I don't have a strong feeling. But my slight feeling is that they're somewhat overrated, um, only because I think I'm just so used to the whole polling as a social media convention in other social media. You know, so Twitter, when polls came out on Twitter, they were all the rage and Facebook, same. So um, I, I feel like they need to be done well and authentically and not be simply uh, like sneaky tools to try to coax engagement out of a network. So and, you know, you and I have hypothesized whether or not the algorithm has shifted in LinkedIn as a result of inter, um, introducing polls. It may be taking away some of the promotion of, you know, non-poll type of content. I don't know that that's true. And I don't know that, you know, I haven't followed it that closely. So for those reasons, I'm thinking slightly overrated. What about you? Yeah. So I, I'm generally with you. I mean, I think because you're seeing so much of it, I know there's been a lot of discussion about whether or not um, they are you know, getting more content views than, regular posts, that kind of thing that you're seeing a lot of them. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it's an interesting tool. I, one of the reasons I asked is today, I actually published my first poll on LinkedIn. Ooh, I haven't seen um, that so, yet. Yeah. So I put one out I, in part because I just thought, well, you know, despite the fact that I don't think they're necessarily all that interesting, you know, we probably uh, need to be staying more attuned to them since they do seem to be getting a lot of um, attention on the platform. And I, I will say this, I, there's clearly something going on because, I mean, I, I tried to be thoughtful about the poll question. I developed and, and wrote a, a post, uh, uh, you know, that that accompanied it. Um, it is getting a lot of views. Like you can see why people are doing more of them because it is getting quite a few views. Um, and so, I mean, there's something to that. But yeah, again, if the whole notion here is to think about how do I um, develop myself as a thought leader and, you know, bring awareness to what I'm offering in terms of, um, you know, my underlying services, whether polls help accomplish that objective or just merely gain attention because they're getting juice in the algorithm. I don't know. So yeah. it's a tool. I probably would say people should just be thinking about like, is this going to be a lasting thing or is 
LinkedIn, like most times when it rolls out new features, it'll start dialing back the, the distribution. And at the end of the day, you know, high quality content is still going to be the thing people are looking for. So that, that's my take on it. Interesting. Yeah. And I will say, though, to kind of hedge against my own sort of overrated position, anything that um, supports and encourages conversation and engagement on LinkedIn, I think is a good thing. I, I just feel like LinkedIn has struggled to get people active on the platform. I mean, everyone says they're on LinkedIn and, but most people say, you know, I don't do much on it. And of course that's the whole reason behind the thought leader collaborative is to help people understand what they can and should be doing because it is a powerful tool if used correctly. So I, for that reason, I I support that they've introduced polls and if it gets people talking, then I'm all for it. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, um, Let's, let's transition to our topic for today, which is uh, something that's uh, maybe a little less scalable of, you know, it's, there's an out, certainly an element of marketing to this, but it is also sort of a, something that you do that um, strengthens relationships, but maybe on a little bit more of a one-on-one basis, which is a whole notion of client experience, which is how do I not just, um, you know, provide my services to someone in a way that um, benefits them and, and makes them a satisfied client, but rather creates a really remarkable experience through that process that that can create not just, um, you know, a good result for a client, but a positive experience from the start to a finish of an engagement. Um, so you want to dive in on that, Tom? I do. And it's interesting because we all know what it feels like to be on the receiving end of the white glove treatment, right? It makes you feel really special. Something or some brand goes over and above to deliver some unexpected, you know, uh, perk on top of what you think you paid for. Um, it just, it makes you feel special and it, it endears you to the brand. So we know what it feels like, but as service providers, sometimes we forget that in delivering that, paying that forward to our customer or client, um, because we're busy, we sometimes, you know, we figure, well, the client didn't pay for that. They only paid for this. So that's all they're getting type of thing. So mm-hmm. I think it's, it's, it starts with just reminding ourselves how good it, it makes you feel as a customer or client. And don't you want that feeling, um, you know, kind of experienced by all of your clients so that not only they stay and keep coming back, but they refer you to other people. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, this gets back to where I think client experience really does become uh, an important part of branding and marketing for a law firm or any professional services firm. Um, and, and the reason for that, uh, one of the reasons for that certainly is that there are, uh, there are clients who, you know, they're smart and sophisticated, but many clients can't distinguish all that well between maybe what would be good work product and great work product. So, you know, you send them a brief that you wrote to, to review and, it may, you know, they, I don't think many clients um, have the ability to distinguish between like, this is outstanding or this is merely good enough. They just don't have a, enough context to do that. But I think every client understands the difference between outstanding you know, service uh, and attention and experience, um, everyone can distinguish between those things, such as the um, ability to, you know, are, am I, are you responding to my calls uh, in, a, in a timely manner? Am I be tr- being treated with respect and dignity? You know, are the bills I'm receiving clear as to what value is being delivered? All of these types of things, you know, clients have a really good handle on. Um, and so how that ties back to, to branding and marketing is the fact that um, while it's oftentimes difficult for, say, a large law 
one large law firm to distinguish itself all that much from another from a branding standpoint, because at the end of the day, most full service firms do largely the same thing. And they're oftentimes very good at doing that. Um, you can distinguish yourself to a greater degree in terms of the experience that you're providing for clients, um, whether that be educational, um, you know, hospitality in the sense that, you know, your, the experience when a client walks into your office is, is remarkable. Um, you know, how you're entertaining clients, all those types of things. There's opportunities to really differentiate there from a brand standpoint. So I do think there's a big opportunity for, for people to focus on client experience. Yeah, I agree. And what's the, um, the expression is people may forget what you told them, but they will never forget how you made them feel something like mm-hmm. that. Right. Yep. And I think that's, that's really true. And um, the biggest compliment I've ever received is uh, it was somebody left my office once after a meeting. And I just thought it was a regular meeting. And this person just said, I just feel so energized whenever I leave our meetings. And I just thought, well, that's, that's really great. I got to figure out what I did um, mm-hmm. and see if I can repeat it. So I did I actually uh, asked that gentleman to coffee and I said, you know, I replayed what he said. He said, Oh yeah, I remember saying that. And I said, well, what, what, what did, what did I do? And so he just went chapter and verse. It wasn't anything that extraordinary, you know? So I know we're going to get into some examples, but it's not things that are overly difficult or time consuming necessarily. Um, there are some subtle things that you can inject into the client experience. And one of the things you said once that resonated with me is if the last thing your client receives from you is an invoice, that's a missed opportunity. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, for sure. Right. You don't, uh, you know, this will get into, um, well, let's, let's dig into this uh, a bit more. Cause I think that issue will come up in a moment. Um, and, and I thought we could maybe start by talking about, you know, what is, you know, what is the what are the phases of of client experience? Because I think that you know we, if we think about them in in terms of um, you know the different phases of a client's experience with you or your law firm, um, this will start to become more clear. Um, so I I don't know I just came up with some simple uh, phrases maybe we can use in our discussion today, but it would sort of be the courtship phase that probably makes sense to people. It's sort of you know how do you establish the relationship and then maybe start getting a client onboarded into your firm. Um, then there's like the engagement phase. That's where you're actually doing, you know, the work product whatever, or the providing service, whatever you might be doing for a client. And then the end phase, which is, you know, okay, the, the engagement's completed. And yeah, is it going to be uh, the last experience that you provide for someone is them receiving, a, you know, an invoice in the mail from you. And, and, and that's the, that's kind of the end of the engagement. Um, so those, if we think about it and frame it in terms of those three phases, I think it, we can help, um, you know, get a conversation started around like how to focus on each one and, and whether, you know, there are certain things that, and time periods within an engagement that are maybe more important than others. Um, and the reason I say that is because I think that many people really focus on that courtship phase, right? It's exciting to bring in new clients and we spend a lot of time and energy doing so. Um, you know, we market, we do business development, we, you know, eventually get to the point where maybe we, we do the pitch and we get the client and there's a lot of excitement around that period of time. Um, and that during that courtship phase, but then oftentimes the relationship doesn't get quite the same attention. Um, it's, it's really like dating, right? Where, you know, things start off and then, you know, they start to kind of get into a routine and, and maybe that's where things can get off the rails a bit. And I think the same is true for our relationships with clients as well. Um, so 
you know, thinking in terms of not just focusing on the beginning, um, you know, the courtship phase, but really continuing to provide an excellent experience throughout the entire life cycle of an engagement is really important. Um, and there's there's research on this. Um, Daniel Kahneman, it's one of the pioneers of behavioral economics, talks about um, the fact that there are two primary um, elements to an experience that people really remember and cause them to form an impression, either positive or negative, based on that. Um, and that would be, one would be the peaks of an experience, whether they be a high peak or a low peak. So something really significant in a positive way happened or in a negative way, that can really form an impression. Um, and then the second one would be the end. Um, the end moment of an engagement or a relationship or whatever the experience might be at any given moment um, leaves a lasting impression on people. So it's really not about the beginning. According to Kahneman's work, it's all about the peaks and the end. And that's, that's been um, you know, reduced down to uh, what's called the peak, peak end rule, which um, really I think should help inform what people are doing um, as it relates to the client experience they're offering. Yeah, I like that. And I really like the your frame of the sort of three phases, courtship, engagement, and and I don't want to disrupt your mojo, but maybe a, a better way to think about it shouldn't be end. And I'm, I'm guessing that's what you're going to speak to in just a moment. But going back to your dating analogy, it really should be courtship, engagement, marriage. Isn't that how it goes? And marriage yeah. is supposed to be to death do you part? And obviously, we all lost clients. My favorite line in Mad Men is when uh, Roger says to uh, Don, the minute you get a client, it's the minute you start losing clients. So client relationships do end. But the goal should be, is to, I think, to not consider that last phase as the end, but really the beginning to the next chapter. And so what you want to do is you want to, again, endear that client to you. Whether they hire you again or not, they should have this favorable impression so that just like as marriage is supposed to be, you're not looking, you know, at the passerby and you're not being tempted by other potential suitors. Um, again, whether you hire that firm or you're just referring them to somebody else. So how do we change the end, Jay? I don't know if you want to start at courtship or you had some more thoughts on end, but how do we change the end to be actually marriage? Yeah, no, that's right. I mean, that's a, that's, it's a great point. It's a better way to think about it. Um, yeah. So the end, you can think of it in two ways. The end would be maybe the end of a discrete, you know, yes. matter that you're working on, but, but certainly, you know, the whole objective here is, is that the, the relationship itself never ends. And then that client becomes a repeat client. Um, and, and perhaps more importantly, becomes an advocate for you and your firm who's referring other work your way. I mean, that's what we're really trying to get to is the point which it's not just, we don't just have a client, but we have an, an ally or advocate working on our behalf, providing word of mouth marketing for us um, in the marketplace. And that I think really should be the objective. I think every, every firm or a, any individual lawyer um, getting to the point where they're building an ecosystem of satisfied clients, whether they're working for them at the moment or not, who's working on their behalf to send more work their way. That's really pop, uh, powerful. And it's, it's facilitated through client experience to a, to a great extent. Yes. You know, sort of table stakes here is that you have to do, you know, a, a good job in terms of the service you're providing to the client, um, the legal services you're providing to the client. But beyond that, it's all about the client experience where you can really def differentiate. So, so yeah, with, I mean, with the end in mind, as we're, as we're putting it in terms of how do we, how do we keep that um, engagement going beyond the actual end moment? 
I think that's where, you know, marketing comes into play and, and continuing to stay in touch and in front of uh, the people that you've served in the past is really, really important. Um, so, so yeah, we can start with the end or we could, or we could go back and dial it back to the beginning and maybe just riff on some ideas as to how to, how to improve the client experience at each phase of, of the engagement. Um, what do you think, Tom? Let's do that. Let's start at the beginning. I think it's only makes sense to start there. And then mm-hmm. I, I have a, uh, maybe a book recommendation when we get to this end part here that speaks to exactly what you talked about. So mm-hmm. first we, so courtship, how do we improve yeah. the client experience in the courtship phase? Yeah. So, I mean, I think that if we're thinking in terms of let's get past like the phase at which we've, we've um, you know, we've done the marketing, we've done the business development and a client is, is um, has signed up, they're, they're coming on board. And how do we, how do we improve that experience from the front end? I mean, I think it's really, um, it, 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 there's certain things you can do. I mean, there's simple things you can do uh, really. I mean, in terms of the onboarding process, just, just making it really systemized and um, consistent for your client. And one, of, one aspect of that is asking clients about their preferences as to how they would like to this engagement to go. And it can be things as simple as like understanding what's your preferred mode of communication, right? I think that for um, you know, many, many of us as service providers think in terms of you know, our preferences as it relates to communication, but asking clients, um, how do they wanna be communicated to, how frequently, um, what, what are the means to do that? All, all of these types of things are, are part of the client experience. And if you have a mismatch in terms of um, how you prefer to communicate, um, how, in terms of cadence, in terms of the, the methods, and that is um, not aligned with your your client's perspective or preferences, then that's going to cause problems during the engagement and clients are going to be annoyed. Either you're communicating too frequently and that freaks clients out because they think they're getting nickel and dimed for those communications mm-hmm. or infrequent, too infrequently where they don't feel like they have a handle on what's going on it, on their case. Um, all of those things can be major um, impediments to a successful engagement, regardless of what the outcome of the matter ends up being. So, I mean, these are some things where it's just, whether it be, um, you know, it could be any number of, of factors or, or underlying elements of your client's preferences, but actually having that conversation and asking them some of these questions, I think is a, a key part of kicking off any engagement in a positive fashion. Yep. Great point. And I've seen companies make the mistake of having an overly regimented onboarding process because they want to, I mean, it's well-intentioned. They want to demonstrate to the client that they have a system and it's, you know, proven and other clients use it and we get you in and we have a weekly status call. And then we have all of these layers, you know, trying to demonstrate that there is a emphasis on customer experience. But they do so at the peril of the relationship right away because, as you said, sometimes the preferences are different. And um, I think an important part is good, you know, step one is great. You have a process, onboarding process, if you do, hopefully, uh, and you've got some white glove check boxes in there. But I would say always start with the customer's preferences. Ask them. You could have a broad outline and say we have we have um, frequent updates and then we have, you know, infrequent status meetings. Typically, a client wants it to work this way. How do you want it to work? And that checks both boxes. It shows that you have this commitment in this process, but it allows them to have a voice in how it's going to play out. Yeah, that's right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that's that's a, a big factor in terms of, um, you know, client experience and then and then making sure that your, your team is aligned on what those, um, you know, w- what the plan is as it relates to that client as well. Um, and, and defining for your client, like, 
here's who you need to communicate, who, here's who will be communicating with you, here's who uh, you can reach out to for certain questions, like making them clear on, you know, expectations from the front end will make for a far better experience throughout the engagement. Because again, it's that it's a mismatch of preferences and expectations that can really get things off on the wrong foot or the right foot. And those conversations need to happen right up front, as opposed to waiting until something goes wrong, or you you learn if you even do that the client is unhappy about something because you never talked about it, or you never um, set the appropriate expectations as to um, all, all kinds of different factors. And I would say but that on that level, your internal team, then I think it is important to have a rigid system that's somewhat, you know, impregnable. It has to be the same every time and look no further than the most obvious example, which is Disney. Is Disney's extremely exciting, creative. You leave there so fired up, maybe a little exhausted, but it's because it's highly systematized. So, um, you know, I don't need to make a book recommendation there. I'm sure you can find other examples of this, but keep that internal system. I think again, you know, like make sure the team's bought in, but figure out ways to create um, accountability so that everyone's playing by the same playbook. And that, that will show for the client, right? They will experience that. Oh, you, you, um, you reached out to me without me having to reach out to you type of thing, right? So mm-hmm. yeah, that's important. Yeah, and that, that kind of takes us, I'm glad you raised Disney because I think they're a great example of this. Um, and you know, we, if we think about how you know, during the course of an engagement, we can, um, we can you know, create those peak moments we were speaking about, you know, right. and, and hopefully um, positive peak moments uh, for our clients. I mean, I think Disney's great at that. I mean, if you think about the experience at Disney, most of it is spent spending way too much money for, you know, for food and other items that aren't mm-hmm. that great. Um, waiting in long lines for, you know, maybe two minutes on a ride. Um, it's not, you know, it's not a, it's not a pleasurable experience in, in many regards, but in the in the process of that, they're building in um, a number of peak moments. Like you know, you they oftentimes point to people talk about like the um, the photo opportunities they have or their kids have with the the cast of characters and Disney mm-hmm. and how like that's all their kids remember. And they show up at the at the breakfast you know brunch at one of the resort hotels, and the kids get to meet whoever their favorite character is. And like that, it doesn't all of the long lines and all of the overpriced food uh, kind of fades in the in the background when the kids have this magical experience with with one of their favorite characters. And that's an example of, you know, the peak moments that are created. Um, And, you know, what's the equivalent of that in professional services? Well, um, you know, maybe taking taking the time to do something like, you know, write a handwritten note expressing your gratitude to your client, maybe, you know, a third or a halfway through the engagement, Um, just something unexpected and personal that you can do um, that makes your client feel noticed, special, and and appreciated. Um, so these are the types of, of things you can do. And I would also say, you know, as it relates to this um, concept of creating peaks, even if there's and there's always going to be in in most cases when you have a, a, a legal engagement, there's going to be some difficult moments, maybe where the client's not happy or a. a ruling didn't go their way or, or a mistake was made that you need to remedy as a lawyer. Uh, the ability to turn that around in your favor relates to um, the speed and the, um, the, the speed and effectiveness of how quickly you remedy those mistakes, right? Um, that by doing so in a way that's professional and effective, um, you can turn that low peak moment into a high peak where, you know, the, the, as the old saying goes, it's not necessarily what 
what, what the mistake was that happened, it's how do you remedy it? And the ability to do things like that, which is a big part of client experience, like, all right, you know, yeah, something went wrong or, or something didn't go our way, but here's what we're going to do to fix it, um, can go a long way towards cementing that relationship. The client thinking that you have their back and, and you're, you're there to kind of advocate for them as opposed to, you know, glossing over something or, or not even acknowledging in the first place. Yeah, and I would recommend having a, a proactive process already in place for the unforeseen, right? So you don't know that a specific thing is going to happen and create a little peak, but you know that those things tend tend to happen and they maybe tend to manifest in common ways. So you can have a plan or a process to say when this thing happens, that should trigger this event. And so I'm thinking back to Disney is, you know, what do people complain about? The long lines. So what did they start doing? They started creating fast passes. They started creating experiences around the line. So you get into like, I'm thinking of the, the early Star Wars ride is the line was an actual experiential like pleasure cruise. It was like, oh, there's C-3PO and there's R2-D2 and they're moving. And, you know, they've moved in that direction with other rides as well. So as you, you don't even realize you're in line, in other words, you're, you're already part of the experience. So can you create as a firm, can you create a system that says, here's an effective way to overcome this low peak moment. Let's have it sort of in the can, ready, ready to go. And then we just break glass in case of emergency instead of, because once you're in the middle of, if it's a low peak moment in this crisis, you have all this other stuff to worry about just to fix the problem, right? If it's the actual practice of law, perhaps. So you, you don't want to be thinking in that environment, how do I get myself out of this mess? You'd rather have a plan for something like this. Um, and then it can be repeatable. And maybe it's not something that the attorney needs to execute him or herself, it could be part of the support team's job to do that. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Um, and uh, I, I love that we're we're sticking on the Disney theme here, because I think there is another, well, A, you know, Disney's masters of it. And, right. um, and B, there's just, I think people can relate to it, because so many people have had that experience. Um, and, and there is a, you know, as we start to think about, you know, these end moments as well. Um, what, what happens when Disney closes its park every night, Tom? The huge parade and stuff like that. that yeah, the fireworks. Fire, the fireworks display. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. So, so they've got that down pretty well. Um, and you know, we're not talking about having a fireworks display at the end of a, <laughs> a legal engagement, but you know, the same principle applies. Where how do we create something that's that's um, you know me uh, memorable and positive experience for our clients? And and again, that might be um, having a um, you know a, a you know to the extent that it can be done in person, like an in-person meeting with your client and just, you know, again, where you can, you can kind of run through things with them and, and really not just have it end abruptly, but really, you know, handing over, if it's an estate planning matter, like the moment where you're handing over the estate planning binders and how do you create some positive experience around that? Or, um, you know, a litigation matter with a positive result. Like, you know, I could see a, a lawyer who, um, you know, uh, one judgment for the client, you know, be, the, the ability to not just like send, send the check from their retainer account or their, um, uh, their escrow account to the client, but rather, you know, walking that over to them and having a, having a positive end experience, all these types of things. We're, we're big advocates. I know of, um, you know, being sending physical things through the mail, you know, everything's so digital these days, mm -hmm. sending a book, sending a, sending a, a bouquet of flowers, whatever the case might be creating something that is unexpected and, and positive at the end of the engagement uh, that you can do to, to certainly stand out um, in a way that's not expected by your client can be really powerful.
Exactly. And I'll stick with Disney again since we're on endpoints. Um, and we've <laughs> used the analogy. Disney knows that there will be low peak moments, right? So when I go to Disney, here, here's my experience. The low peak moments are the long lines, the heat, right? It's usually too hot. The food is horrible, I think, and overpriced. Um, the kids get tired by about one o'clock in the afternoon. The legs are tired and they get crabby. But when I get home from that vacation, what do I tell all my friends and family about? All the things that I just referenced or, oh, my God, the new Star Wars exhibit's amazing. Oh, my God, we were sitting there and um, the white rabbit came up to Jillian and wanted you know, to take a picture with her. Those are the things that you, you need to have those built in high peaks, to your point earlier, so that the low peaks are kind of offset and kind of maybe forgotten about. And they're sort of taking with a grain of salt, because yes, this was a, you know, a complex legal matter. I thought things might be difficult at times, but look how it's ending going back to the parade thing. And now's the time for my book recommendation, because there's a, been a whole book written about, about this process, um, not specifically for law firms and not even for professional services firms, but just companies in general. And are you familiar with Joseph Jaffe's Flip the Funnel book? I've heard of it, but I've never read it. Yeah. So flip the funnels. All if you think of a funnel and you think of the sales funnel is we spend so much time in that courtship phase, to your point, getting people mm-hmm. into the funnel, then driving them down the funnel towards an engagement. And then the engagement ends. And, you know, like you said earlier, that just sending an invoice is a missed opportunity. So if you take the funnel, that's kind of got the, the, the wide part at the top and you flip it over. And now this low part is at the end of an existing client engagement. What you want that client to do is to do what I do when I get back from Disney. Tell anyone who asks and even the people who don't how wonderful the experience was. And, oh, my God, you got to go. You got to check it out. If you're looking for something to do next time, if you need an attorney, you would not believe what this attorney did. It was really cool. You know, all the examples that you just used, it wasn't just an invoice, you know, and, uh, or a direct deposit. It was, uh, they walked over with a cake and they, you know, they yeah. had the cake and the check and it was a celebration. It was really cool. Those are the things that existing fans or existing customers will become advocates, fans, and, you know, probably be outdoing your marketing for you. You just don't even know it. That's the concept behind Flip the Funnel. And I think it's an effective and important read for anyone that wants to figure out how to change the end into a marriage. Yeah, I love that. Um, and and uh, yeah, I'll have to check that book out. Um, there's another one I would recommend too. It's called The Power of Moments by Chip Heath, um, mm. who's one of the, they, him and his brother, uh, wrote another book you might be familiar with Tom called made to stick. I don't know if you know that book or not. I do know made um, to stick. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so the the book power moments is all about these issues as well. Just how to create these remarkable moments for clients and customers. Um, Because to your point, it's, that's what people talk about. It's how do you, you know, everyone has a certain expectation. And I think when working with most people, when they're working with a lawyer or law firm, they're fairly low, right? I mean, in terms of they're, they, in terms of this client experience, they're not expecting much from it. So even the little things you can do to kind of shake things up and, and exceed their expectations from a client experience standpoint, it's not that hard, um, but you can really stand out and, and cement that relationship as a result. Yeah. And you can be almost certain that your competitors will not be doing these extra little moments that you talk about. So it will, it'll differentiate yourself. And again, it's not that it doesn't have to be overly involved, overly time consuming, overly expensive. It's just sometimes it is those little things that really get noticed. So, yeah. All right. Well, um, 
I guess, Tom, before we wrap it up today, we should probably just mention, I know we referenced it um, during the episode, but we are gonna be launching the Thought Leader Collaborative, opening the doors to registration um, the week of July 26th. Um, so we encourage people to the extent they um, wanna check that out. And what the Thought Leader Collaborative is, is a um, online membership site and training platform where uh, Tom, you and I will be providing people with um, training and resources on how to use LinkedIn more effectively and particularly how to create content to position yourself as a thought leader such that you can grow your practice. And um, we have a special offer for um, those who join the week of July 26th, uh, which is our founding member offer. So we'll be, uh, we're offering the Thought Leader Collaborative at a uh, price of $29 a month. And that will be a, anyone who joins that week will be entitled to that price for as long as they remain a member. Um, and that will never be offering pricing um, anywhere near that low uh, ever again. And we're, we're only opening registration for, for that one week. Um, the lab launches officially on August 2nd, and then it'll be another, you know, three to four months before we, we open registration back up. So if you're interested in uh, using LinkedIn more effectively, um, establishing yourself as a thought leader, encourage you to check that out. Um, you can go to the thought leader, just thoughtleadercollaborative.com. Uh, and right now, if you'd like to go, you can sign up for our email list. Um, but on July 26th, the registration uh, will open and that, that will close on August 1st. Anything you want to add to that, Tom? Well, can I give a little sneak peek? Because Yeah, please do. One of my favorite components that we came up with um, is our principles and practice. For one, there's a pun there. It, is it principles AL or LES? Well, it's actually both, right? Yeah. Principles of practice. So it's not just you and I saying, you know, conceptually, this is what you should do because it will potentially help you. We're bringing in real life examples of people who have already executed the strategies we're espousing, and then they can speak to the results. And our first one is Laura Frederick, who I think a lot of attorneys will know because in 2020, during the lockdown, she went from practically non-existent on the platform to posting every single day. At least she challenged herself to do that for a period of 30 days. And without giving too much away, um, that 30 days became permanent because it was so successful. And I'm excited to hear her tell our members why she did it, how she did it, and what the results were. Um, because going back to what we talked about at the beginning, is there's too many people who are quote unquote on LinkedIn. And it's, I, I don't think LinkedIn is something you're on. I think it's something you do. So what do you do? That's what we're going to try to demystify and break down for, for members. So tune in at least for a month if you want to see Laura Frederick talk about her successes on the platform. Awesome. Yeah, it's going to be, I, I'm looking forward to that conversation quite a bit. So yeah. again, if you're interested thoughtleadercollaborative.com. Um, that's, that's where everything will happen. And um, I guess, uh, I guess that's it for today, Tom. That's it. So we will, uh, we got some book recommendations. We'll put those in the uh, show notes as well. So mm -hmm. until next time, Jay, I guess that's it for this week's thought leadership project. Okay. Thanks everybody. We'll, uh, we'll be back with uh, another episode next week. Thank you for listening to the Thought Leadership Project. For show notes, additional resources, and links to the tools discussed on today's episode, visit thethoughtleadershipproject.com.